What up, world? It's your past first point guard and Blazer beat writer Mike Richmond. You're listening to another episode of Locked on Blazers, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, available wherever you get podcasts. Today's episode is a very, very special one. We are joined by Portland Trailblazers head coach Terry Stotts. Terry, thanks for joining me. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. How you doing, Michael? Are you staying safe? I'm staying safe. I barely leave the house. So um, <laughs> as, as long as my cat and my family are, uh, are staying safe, then I think we're going to be okay. Good, good. What I know generally you have been an uh, off-season adventurer because your job is relatively demanding for nine to ten months out of the year. Have you been able to do anything fun this off-season, even though it's not maybe the typical timing? Uh, to be honest, not really. Uh, it's, as you mentioned, usually in the off-season, we, we like to travel. Uh, we went to Europe last year. Uh, we like to go to Hawaii, uh, maybe a trip in somewhere in the United States. Obviously, visiting relatives, all that. And so we have been, uh, we've been locked down. I did, I did take one trip, uh, my stepmother, to see my stepmother in Las Vegas, who uh, her husband had recently passed. So I wanted to uh, be with her for a few days. Uh, and even that was, that was concerning. Uh, you know, I feel much more safe uh, staying in Portland and staying in my house. Yeah, seriously. So no, uh, no big Canadian road trip this year, huh? Are we even allowed in Canada yet? Yeah, we are not. We are not. You could do a big Mexican road trip. <laughs> yeah, and that won't be happening. All right. Well, let's, so it'll, you'll be at home. And I guess if you're at home, I assume you're watching these playoff games, watching the finals games. We're recording this on Friday before game two of the NBA finals. But I imagine you, a uh, hoops lifer, have been locked into the playoffs. I have. Uh, you know, it's... Uh... I think the, the competition has been outstanding. The, there have been some good storylines. The fact that it's in a bubble, uh, I think, has obviously taken away some of the home court advantage. You see uh, teams come back within a game and within a series. Um, there have been, like I said, some great storylines and some great performances. And, you know, I'm, above it all, and probably more important than that, is the fact that the NBA has done such an outstanding job in – preserving the bubble, keeping the bubble safe. And we're going on, uh, going on three months in the bubble and it's, um, you know, just get through these finals, but it's been a, uh, extreme success just from a, from a health standpoint and showing the country what can be done. Yeah. Basically an experiment that I don't even think the league was super into in April has turned out to be, uh, at least a really safe way to play high level basketball games for 90 days. Yeah. It's, uh, I told the team going into that, our first meeting down in Orlando uh, that it was that it was important, you know, what we're doing from a basketball standpoint. We could salvage the season. We could make the playoffs, obviously all those things. But uh, I just – in many ways, this is bigger than basketball because, uh, you know, what we're doing for the country, what we can provide uh, to the country, not only from an entertainment athletic standpoint, but – from a health standpoint, and if we can accomplish this, it's going to be a roadmap and kind of a guideline for other businesses, uh, other enterprises. Yeah, not not even just in the sports world, like you said. Like this is, you know, if you create these environments, you could do, you could get back to some level of normalcy. Obviously, um, the bubble is not was not normal. I I wonder for you did you notice I think I noticed just watching the games or I felt like I noticed and maybe you'd have a better sense of this do you think the lack of travel helped guys help guys stay fresh 
Uh, I do. Uh, I think, you know, the, the grind of, of travel and uh, your sleep schedule. And uh, there's no question that traveling takes its toll um, on everybody. And I'll say this too, uh, being in a bubble, there are fewer distractions. Even when you're at home, you know, you have responsibilities with your family and you have responsibilities uh, within the community and things like that. They're really, the distractions were minimal. Uh, obviously the travel was zero. So I think those two things combined really focused everybody on, you got into routine. Uh, once the game started, you're playing almost every other day. Right. Um, and then once the playoffs started, you're playing every other day. So there was, um, there was a routine, there was a focus, uh, and very, very few distractions. Yeah. And if you guys hadn't switched hotels, you'd still be playing right now. Well, I'd like to think that <laughs> <laughs> we, we are fans of the yacht club. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Always. Um, so I guess when I'm talking about watching the games, can you turn it off? Can you stop being a coach? Uh, or are you saying like, why did you help off the, off the strong side? Or like, why are you sending him right? All those things. Like, can you turn it off when you're watching the playoffs? Uh, yeah, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not really a, a critical viewer. Uh, I enjoy watching the game. I enjoy, uh, enjoy the competition, the, the ebb and flow of the game. Certainly I watch the X and O's and, and things like that, but I honestly, I watch it more of a, as a fan, uh, when I'm with not necessarily a rooting interest. So, but is, are you able to, you know, watch, watch some, a wrinkle that a coach puts in, say like a uh, Spolster's zone and, and not think like, okay, how would we attack this? Like, where does Nurk go? Where does Dame go? Like, do you, it, are you able to, is that just a natural part of your watching experience or are you able to kind of shut that down? No, I, I, I do watch that. You know, I think Miami is unique in what they're able to do with their personnel and, uh, but so are a lot of different teams. So really what I look at a lot of times is, uh, if a team is doing something at either end of the floor, how can we make that work for our team and our personnel? You know, some things, and you know, it's funny, uh, I've been where we did something one year, even going back to college, where we did something that was successful one year, and then you go the next year, and there's some personnel changes, uh, you know, whether it's three, four, five, six, seven players, who knows, but what was successful with that group, with that team, turns out not to be that great with right. the next year's team. So, uh, so to answer your question, when I do watch these, these games, uh, whether it's an offensive play, um, I probably do it more so in the regular season where I'm able to stop and rewind and, and spend sure. more time analyzing. But uh, I want to process it into how can we make that work for us? Um, like I said, you use Miami zone as um, – as an example, and we, we put that in uh, this year and use it halfway through the season. Actually, going into, going into Orlando, we tried to imitate Miami's zone and uh, with some success, not totally, but, uh, you know, they run it different teams do. And uh, so we thought we would uh, – that was be something that we, we had time to practice it. And so, you know, now we – and we implement it. So – like I said, it was, uh, the success was average at best, but it was something that we picked up from them. I, I did a preview of you guys heading into the bowl games, and I said, they're going to play a ton of zone. They're going to play a ton of zone. So I was a little disappointed that I didn't see much of it, so I couldn't be like, see, I knew it. I knew it. Oh, well, such is life.
I want to ask you a couple more questions about zone defense, in particular the 2011 NBA Finals when the Dallas Mavericks used a ton of zone defense in that series to beat the Miami Heat. But before we get back to talking about game-changing, league-altering defense, I want to tell all my listeners about Built Go. Built Go is from that same group that brought you the world's fastest-growing protein bar. Yes, the good people at Built Bar. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. comes in these easy-to-take one-and-a-half-ounce packages. You can take them with you in your work bag. You can take them with you in your pocket. And what they're going to help you do is they're going to help you break through that wall. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every day. This stuff is basically like a five-hour energy without that same crash feeling because it's natural, it's got less caffeine, and it's just better for your body. It's like drinking an energy drink with a third of the caffeine and better results. comes in three delicious flavors. Peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate, mint. They sent me a pack of these. And look, they helped me break through my wall. I got long days. Work a day job. Then got to crank out these fun podcasts. And to make these podcasts fun, sometimes I got to break through that mental wall. And Built Go helps me do just that. Here's how it works. Built Go combines energy gel with collagen protein. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets in your system fast. And it's not going to upset your tummy. Built Go is also loaded with good stuff to ignite you energy-wise. They got... Beta alanine, B3, honey, and a little bit of caffeine. Basically, slightly less than an average cup of coffee. Bilko is also packed with B6 and 10,000% your daily value of B12. Look, if you need a workout gel to power you through your day, to break through that mental and physical wall, get your hands on some of this Bilko. You can do that by visiting BiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED. That's L-O-C-K-E-D. You'll get 30% off your next order. Use that promo code LOCKED for 30% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go! Today's episode is also brought to you by DoorDash. You know DoorDash. It's the app that brings you the food you're craving right to your door right now. Ordering is easy. All you do is open that DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with the new contactless delivery drop-off setting. And if you're craving it, chances are DoorDash has it. Because they've got over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Puerto Rico, Canada, and Australia. So you can support your local go-tos, your favorite local restaurants, or choose from your favorite national chains that you might be craving. It's that simple. Open up the app, decide what you want to eat, hit the button, they'll bring it to you. Doesn't that sound easy? Let me make it a little bit easier for you. DoorDash wants to help you save some money. So right now, my listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees off your first order of $15 or more when you download the DoorDash app and enter the code LOCKEDONNBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter that code LOCKEDONNBA. One more time so you don't forget it. That's code LOCKEDONNBA for $5 off your first order with DoorDash. All right. We're still here chatting with Terry Stotts. We closed that last segment talking about zone defense. and But Coach, you were part of a team that made zone defense popular on a national stage. I wonder do, how similar is this zone defense? Because it's not just Miami. We've seen, I think zone has been more popular across the league this year than, than maybe in the last decade. But really, this the zone defense at its highest level was popularized by 
your 2011 Dallas Mavericks team um, that really flummoxed uh, Mr. LeBron James. Uh, how much of that sort of legacy of that 2011 Mavs zone defense do you see now in the zone defenses across the league? I think we're seeing less and less zone. Uh, I think because teams are getting better each year at, at attacking zones. And that's what, uh, you know, Miami's de- uh, zone has some different uh, concepts and, and uh, guidelines to it. But, you know, going back to 2001, uh, when the NBA changed the rules where right. uh, there was no more illegal defense and you could play zone and the only defensive restrictions were uh, defensive three seconds, there were there have been some really good zones. Flip Saunders uh, had a really good zone in in Miami. I'm I'm sorry, in Minnesota with Joe Smith and Kevin Garnett, and mm-hmm. they were really long and uh, started in a three-two, and then they dropped Garnett into a two-three. And between the personnel to do that and the newness of it, uh, it was pretty effective. Uh, going back to when, uh, as a matter of fact, I talked to Jeff Van Gundy about this. We had uh, it was. Uh, let's see, is my and we had just made the trade and uh, we'd gotten beat. We made the trade. Rasheed Wallace ended up going to Detroit and we mm-hmm. uh, we got Bob Sura and that group. So anyway, we got the first game after the trade, we got beat at Miami by, by 40. And then the next game, we went to Houston and they had Yao Ming and that group. And we played uh, we played a triple overtime, lost in triple overtime at Houston, but we played zone uh, at least three quarters of the game. Um, so, and that was in 2003, four. So yeah. it, it goes back and with, you know, there's some sex, some success here and there, but I think the, the most, as you mentioned, 2011 with Dallas, that's when it was on such a big stage that yeah. uh, it got more, it got more, notice than than when you just play some a lot of zone during a regular season game yeah it's funny how things you do in january don't show up as often as the things you do in june in terms of uh, the way the league tries to copycat it but i i will say that that zone in some ways changed the course of the league because the the by that time next year miami said okay we're going small we're not going to play a traditional center. We want more shooters. We want Chris Bosh and Battier out there. I mean, I think um, in some ways that zone defense pushed us towards this era of more of more space, more pace, more shooting. Well, it was it was certainly part of it. I don't I I don't know if that would be the primary influence. Uh, I think it's just been uh, just the emphasis on shooting and three point shot, and that was the impetus for it. Um, and certainly, you have to do it with your personnel. The reason, honestly, the reason why we played that zone more often than not was we had Tyson Chandler and Dirk. And so teams would go small and try and put Dirk in vulnerable uh, situations or, or, you know, right. Dirk was going to stay on the floor and we were better when Tyson was on the floor. So we had, we had to uh, figure out ways to keep those two on the floor uh, and, and still defend. So uh, it, if you're having trouble with a certain play, if you're having trouble with pick and roll defense, it was, it was something to go to and it bought you a little bit of time until you figured out maybe what you really wanted to do against certain situations or certain actions. Yeah. It's uh, it, it, at the time I remember it being this sort of exciting wrinkle to, to, uh, 
to free up the Mavs team that I was, I was desperately rooting to, to finish off the run. <laughs> I think most people were rooting for us except for uh, uh, South Florida. Yeah, you had, it was a very distinct line. And basically you get south of Jacksonville and you, you were villains, but everywhere else people were rooting for you. Let's come back in the third segment and talk about NBA wardrobes and your time in minor league basketball. Still a pass first point guard. Still Mike Richmond. Still listening to Lockdown Blazers. Still chatting with Terry Stotts. We talked a lot about zone defense. Revisited Terry's time with the 2011 Dallas Mavericks when he was an assistant coach there. I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about wardrobe choices. There is this push for coaches to continue to wear polo shirts. And it has already crept its way into college basketball where the ACC coaches have voted not to wear suits on the sidelines all season long. Terry, tell me this isn't the future of coaching. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm old school and I, I, I was certainly in favor of uh, not wearing suits in the bubble, uh, you know, in, in Orlando in the summer, 95, having to pack for, for whatever you're going to do. I thought it was appropriate that um, the attire, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the quarter zips or the polos or whatever, I thought it was very appropriate for the bubble. Um, when things get back to normal, I, I think it's, uh, I think it's one of the hallmarks of the NBA. I, I like wearing the suit. I think it looks professional, you know, college coaches throughout the years. I remember, uh, George Rabling wearing a sweatsuit at when he was at the university of Iowa and, um, you know, that's college is college and they can do what they want. But my personal preference is, uh, to look professional and uh, what I think a suit is it's one of the distinguishing things about uh, being an NBA coach it's uh, it's, yeah. just, it's different than baseball it's different than football um, it's different than college <laughs> I, it's hard to pull off bow tie Wednesday in a polo shirt you know you can't you cannot you can't have your uh, your signature looks well if we did go that route I'd probably throw in a bow tie once in a while anyway <laughs> um so the bubble has me thinking back it it has a feel you know empty gyms and all that there was this clip that i saw of brad stevens yelling on the sidelines and for someone who wasn't in there i realized that how how much more voices carry in that gym how much more sort of you just yelling let's go let's go let's go let's go echoes in that empty gym as opposed to a full arena you know twenty thousand people at the moda center did did that environment change the way you coach at all because it was quieter because you could hear calls and things like that? Um, honestly, no, that, you know, we had two or three scrimmage games and in those scrimmage games, uh, they did not pipe in a lot of sound, a lot, right. of, a lot of, uh, home noise, crowd noise. Uh, and I think the NBA did a good job and it got better as the, as the games progress of, um, of adding crowd noise for a home team. And the noise was, uh, certainly it wasn't 20,000 people yelling, but it, it was not, it did not feel like an empty gym. You know, okay. when you're hearing uh, sneakers squeak and uh, you know, you hear, hear every last comment. I remember there was a, a scrimmage game. I'm trying to think, I think it might've been Bill Kennedy, but anyway, there was a, a referee who just stopped everything and yelled in the gym, said, that's it. We've had it. That's enough. And everybody in the gym heard him. Uh, <laughs> but that wouldn't happen now with all the crowd noise that they have. 
Um, so it's not as quiet as, as you would think. Can you hear the, uh, a lot of people have asked me this. Can you hear the fans on the, like the din of the fans from the zoom screens or whatever they are? I don't know. I don't know how much, uh, noise is actually coming from the virtual fans. Uh, I really don't, I, I don't know if they pipe in that or if it's just, um, you know, canned, uh, crowd noise. I'm really not sure, um, w if there is any from the virtual fans. There could be, I just don't know. Yeah, yeah, it's probably not one of your main concerns when you're coaching these games. You guys had some pretty important games down there. Um, when, does this, do, does the small gyms, does this atmosphere bring you back at all to your CBA days? I don't know if a lot of people know this, but you started as an, you know, an assistant coach in the Continental Basketball Association. The Albany Patroons, the Fort Wayne Fury is where uh, you sort of cut your teeth in the early days of coaching. Does, does, the, does the empty gym even harken back to your uh, minor league days at all? Uh, you know what? I didn't, because of the, because of the entire setting, I didn't think of that very often. However, there have been times, you know, when I coached in Atlanta and standing before a national anthem and, uh, the crowd is a little sparse that reminded <laughs> me of that reminded me of the CBA, but no, I didn't, um, I didn't, I didn't feel that because, uh, because the environment was so unique. Um, right. The, it just, it, there, there was no comparison to that. You're a big proponent of minor league of the minor leagues. And do you, as the NBA seems to be sort of ramping up its G league with this G league select team where they're putting, um, you know, preps, basically prep stars basically right into the G league. Are you, are you in favor of this, of ramping up the ramping up the minor league system? Uh, you're right. I've always been a proponent of the, of the minor leagues. Uh, you know, I played, <clears throat> I played in the CBA in the early eighties. Uh, I coached in the CBA in the early nineties. Um, I think, uh, and the CBA was much, was a much different league, uh, the G league and the D league. Uh, it was an older league. It was, uh, players who were, had played in the NBA, uh, had careers. Uh, they were, they were literally, uh, just one injury away from being a rotation player. I, I know when we were in, uh, when we were in Albany, we had some players get picked up. Mario Eli got picked up, mm -hmm. and all of a sudden he's in the rotation in the playoffs for Golden State. Um, you know that just doesn't happen in the G League where a guy gets picked up and he's a rotation player that you know the next week. Um, so the talent level was different, but uh, I think it's a, it's evolved into a great even a greater um, apprenticeship, not for just players, but for coaches. Obviously, in the CBA, you had Phil Jackson, Bill Musselman, George Carl, Flip Saunders, uh, just multiple uh, coaches, Eric Musselman, that, that went on to become very successful uh, coaches in the NBA. Because of the expansion of, of front office people and personnel people and coaches and uh, video and things like that, it's really offered an opportunity for for many people at different levels to get their foot wet, get their foot in the, get their foot in the door uh, in the basketball world because of the limited positions that you have in the NBA. Yeah. I mean, two guys in your staff, Dale Osborne and Nate Tibbetts were uh, Julie guys, you know, coach, well, coach together. Well, you know, one of the things I've been, I've been very proud of is that uh, everybody, uh, 
I've had multiple multiple coaches on my staff. Matter of fact, everybody on my staff today either played or coached in the CBA or in the minor leagues. Gennaro Pargo uh, played. John McCullough played. Uh, I played and coached. Dale Osborne coached. Nate Tibbetts coached. Uh, we recently, you know, David Vanterpool had played in the CBA. Uh, so I was proud that the so many people on my staff had been in the minor leagues and it, it keeps you grounded. Uh, you know, you can hearken back to those days and appreciate uh, where you are. You get caught up in the moment of being in the NBA and it's always good to, to be grounded by what you had to do to get to this point. Is there a uh, Terry Stotts Montana Golden Nuggets jersey floating out there somewhere? Uh, I don't know. Uh, you know, <laughs> It's not like we had a lot of jerseys. We had to wash our own jerseys, and uh, you know, it was. It's not like we had multiple jerseys. We had to make the, make it make to, a home and a road jersey last the entire season. So I do have uh, I do have a practice jersey uh, from those days, but I do not have a uniform jersey. Yeah, so there's there's maybe two out there. So some some collector in you know central Montana is holding on to that that real real collector's item the stock you realize that was that was 40 years ago if anybody has that that would be impressive yeah i mean that's making you're making us both feel old here terry uh one question before i get you out of here typically in the off season you've got a rhythm you're staying in contact with guys you're you know you're planning hey here's what we're going to do you know take your two months i'll we'll talk in august and then we'll get see you in september and all those things has that has this strange setup where you don't really know when the season is going to start? You, there's some guesses out there, of course, but change the way you're in contact with guys. Are you in more contact? Are you giving guys space? How are you treating that? Uh, you know, typically I, I give our players a lot of sta- uh, space after the season. So, it, you know, if we're ordinarily we're done with our season in, in May or whenever it is, you know, I, I make a point not to, because uh, I, you know, obviously I have contact with them every day. I send out texts, things like that. Yeah. Uh, so I, I consciously stay away from uh, too much contact with them right after the season. Well, now our season was done, <clears throat> see, about a month ago. So, yeah. um, you know, I've kind of kept, kept my distance every, and we were with each other for so long uh, I think I'm going to give them even a little bit more space than normal. Um, you know, with the uncertainty for next season, if I had something to say, hey, you know, Bears start getting ready, blah, 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 but we don't know. Uh, you know, the rhythm of an off season is just like the rhythm of a season. You know, you finish the playoffs whenever you do. You get prepared for the draft. Uh, you go to summer league. Um, you know, you have another camp here or there. August is kind of a downtime, and then you gear up September 1st. Well, that's all out the window right now. So since we don't know what's on the horizon, it, it's kind of difficult. But I, I will say this. Uh, our players, they showed it in the bubble. They were prepared. Uh, they stayed prepared through before we got to Orlando. Uh, they're very professional. Uh, and I think the the one concern that I have is that, about when the season's going to start. It's like uh, the couple of times in, <clears throat> excuse me, in when there's been lockouts, whether it's in uh, uh, 98 or uh, in, uh, what was it, 2011, yeah. when there, there have been lockouts and the uncertainty players didn't stay in shape uh, because they didn't know when they had to be in shape. 
So um, I think everybody learned a lot from those two experiences, and uh, that would be my one concern going forward. Yeah, I think I think the difference in those 2011 lockout is that guys were like, we're not going to have a season. I don't care. Like, I don't, I, I'm not, I'll just, I'll, whenever they say go, I'll get ready. Now guys know it'll be January. It'll be February. At some point, someone's going to hit go. So you might as well stay in shape in December. <laughs> I would. Yeah. And, and I'll say this, I think today's, uh, today's athlete, I mean, they're very professional. It, they, uh, it's just part of their routine. They love to play uh, the emphasis on, uh, weight training and uh, just things beyond basketball. I think they really, the nutrition, everything is, uh, they take that, they take that very seriously in the off season. The, the old days of, well, I better start getting ready, you know, after not doing much, those, those days are long gone. Yeah, I, I think I've joked about this before, but it's the difference in Shaq being the face of the league versus LeBron. This is year 17 LeBron. People are like, oh, I want to play till 35. Like I want to, I want to, <laughs> I got to take care of my body. There's a lot at stake, you know, the money, uh, the opportunity, uh, there, there is a lot at stake for, for guys and uh, a lot of reason to, to stay in shape and be ready when, when your number's called. Indeed. Well, I don't know exactly when we'll get to watch you uh, coach in your polo shirt again, but I, hopefully it's sooner rather than later. I don't, I'm not in for a long off season. I want basketball to be back. I mean, I'm going to, there's somewhere between, three and six more games of basketball left in the season, but I'm ready for, you know, all 30 teams to be back and playing. Hopefully sometime then we'll get to chat again on this podcast, but Terry, thank you so much for joining us. I really, really appreciate it. Mike, it was my pleasure and uh, stay safe and all the best. All right. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for today's episode. Tell your friends about this podcast. They can find it wherever they already get podcasts. Just search lockdown blazers. We'll be there waiting for you. Appreciate you listening. Talk to you soon.